be here today. It's a joy to be back with you again and enjoyed being here with you before. Enjoy uh, always getting together with God's people and having time of fellowship. Thank you for the singing, for worshiping the Lord. That's what it's all about. It's all about Him. Uh, it's not about us. And uh, sometimes, you know, we can uh, get just sideways about things in our own mind trying to make it about us and that's what gets us in a mess because it's all about him life's not complicated man and the devil wants to make it complicated you go to Genesis chapter 3 and the devil comes on the scene there in the garden first thing he does and this is what he does with all of us anytime is he wants us to question or doubt the things of faith. Things that God's made clear. We know we have what God wants us to do because we have the scriptures. That's what Peter wrote. Peter said that he has given us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness. Peter wrote, he said, God's given us everything in his word that pertains to life, how to live life, and how to live a godly life. It's just in his word. You know what the only job of a servant is? Can anybody answer that? Just The only job a servant has is to what? To serve, to be obedient to the master. If you're here today and you claim to be a Christian, saved, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you only have one job, and that's to be obedient to the book. And if the book says it, says you ought to do it, then you ought to be doing it. If the book says you ought not be doing it, then you ought not be doing it. And that's the end of the story. We can stand up here and, and pontificate about it all we want to. But in my opinion about what it says doesn't matter. All that matters is what it says. And he said it's of no private interpretation, which means he wrote it for all of us and it applies to all of us. We don't get to interpret it or make it up any old way we want to. It just says what it says. Now, you can follow along the devil's lines and you can go in there and try to twist it and turn it and make it say what you want it to say. But when you take Scripture and you back Scripture up with Scripture and you let Scripture commentate on Scripture instead of man commentating on Scripture, you know what? You'll find out that Scripture tells its own story. And it doesn't tell what we want it to tell. It just tells what it tells. If we'll interpret it the right way and look at it the way God's given it to us, it'll help us. It'll change our lives. It'll make us the people... Uh, that God wants us to be. So I, I'm, uh, again, uh, appreciative of the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, thank you for uh, being a, a good group of folks to preach to. Thank you for listening, being patient, and putting up with me. Uh, and if the Lord wills, there's another opportunity. We'll love to come back and try to be a blessing to you. Hebrews, if you have your Bible with you today, uh, we're going to look uh, at the book of Hebrews for a few minutes. Hebrews. And these are a few verses that you will not be unfamiliar with. You probably know these verses. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I do read and 
preach from the King James Bible because I'm uh, pretty simple. I'm a simple-minded person, uh, and that's what I've always had. That's what I had when I started to read and when I got saved and when I had a Bible, that's what it was and that's what I've read and that's what I know and that's what I'm staying with till the Lord calls me home. Now, that being said, if you have something different, that's okay. I know the church, I think, uses New American Standard and they'll maybe put that up for you so if what I'm reading is not what you have or uh, you'll be able to read it and follow along in what you're used to and what you're familiar with uh, on the screen. So, But I just, that's... Uh, I read that, use that. If I was trying to do something else, I'd be so confused. I wouldn't know what I was doing or saying. So. But Hebrews chapter uh, number 10, Hebrews chapter number 10, and uh, I'm going to read a few verses here. In 2019, uh, in January 2019, came around, uh, I had a, an idea the Lord put in my heart uh, last year, uh, some things and uh, when January came around, I, I decided that all I want in my life is more Jesus. I just want more Jesus. We can have a lot of everything, a lot of stuff, and, and we can do a lot of things, but what we need more than anything is just more Jesus. You never have enough of him. There's not too much of him. And we can always use more of him. So with that in mind, I want to share these few verses with you and some thoughts that God uh, has given me, maybe some things that will be a blessing and a help to you. But if you want to follow along, uh, just pick up in chapter 10 and verse number uh, 22, verse number uh, 22 with me, and we'll read a few verses there. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We'll stop right there. If you would, just bow with me for a moment. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we love you this morning and we're so thankful to be here today, thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a group of believers, Lord, and to open your word and to worship you, Lord, to sing praise to your name, to thank you for who you are, for what you do for us each and every day. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Scriptures, the Bible that we hold in our hands today. I thank you, God, that you've given us everything that we need in it for our life. And Lord, how to live a godly life for you. The things that we need to be the salt and the light that you desire for us to be, Lord, in the midst of a lost world and a dying world, Lord, a dark world. God, I pray that you'd just help us to live our life each day, Lord. Help us to be a witness for you in the world that we live in. Help other people see Jesus in us. God, we may be the only scripture, the only Bible, the only thing of Christ that they ever see. So God, help them to see more of you in us than they see more of us in us. God, help us just to be a reflection of who you are and your love and your care and your compassion uh, for those around us, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd help me this morning. I pray, God, that you'd just help me to say the things that you'd have me to say, Lord. Keep me from saying anything that you wouldn't want me to say. 
Father, may the Holy Spirit just be in control of the service from this point on. And we'll do our best to give you praise and honor and give you glory for everything that's done. Lord, if there's one here today, Lord, that does not know you, God, somehow they've come into this building and they don't have the assurance of eternal life. They don't know that if they died today, they would spend their eternity in heaven. May the Holy Spirit of God speak to their heart. God, and they know before they leave this building today, this property, God, they can come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 25 there, uh, at the end of that verse, the Bible simply says this, so much the more, so much the more. In other versions it says uh, so much more or even more or more than, uh, but you get the idea. It's more. It's not enough. You need more. You want more. There is more, more. If you've ever raised kids, do you understand what the word more means? Hey, man, it's never enough. More, more, more. We have three boys uh, from 12 to 20, and uh, when it comes time to sit at the table, it's always more. More, more, never enough. More, more, more. My wife says if we ever get them kids out of the house, we'll be rich because our food bill will just drop to near nothing. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's always more. So you understand what more is. And the Bible says so much the more. Now, if you were to drop back, and we're not for sake of time this morning, if you went back to verse number, ten, verse number 9, uh, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is Christ comes to do the Lord's will. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He's talking about the first Adam, the second Adam, uh, those things there. But in verse 10, he starts with, with some things and and these are the because of. Uh, he said in verse 25, so much the more. There's things that we are to do more of and not less of as we see what the Bible says, the day approaching. Now, I can look out here and see that all y'all been to Bible school. Everybody in here's read the Bible a little bit and you understand, you know... You understand what that means. There is a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and he's going to call the believers out to be with him. Now, I don't know what your affiliation is here with the hereafter and the future, but I'm telling you this, the rapture is going to take place. Now, you can go before it, you can go in the middle of it, or you can go at the end of it. That's up to you, the tribulation I'm talking about. I'm going before it. I'm a believer in a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture is going to happen, all right? And when you believe it's going to happen, you can have your own opinion about that. I'm going at the beginning. You can stay if you want to. But, but it's going to happen. And he said when we see the day approaching, when we see the time of that getting near, well, how do we know? The Bible says no man knows when it's going to happen. Well, we don't know. But the Bible is very clear on the second coming of Christ. He said you can look at these signs and you can see these things and you can know when the second coming of Christ is going to take place. Amen. Can we agree on 
we understand that about prophetic things that there's going to be a seven year tribulation period and in that seven years certain things are going to happen and as you see those things happen the Bible says to look up for what your redemption draweth nigh. He's talking about the second coming when, when God actually, Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to set up his kingdom to rule and reign. There are signs that point to that event. Well, if we see signs that point to that event, then we ought to know, hey, the rapture's getting close because it takes place according to the way I believe the scripture teaches us it takes place seven years before Christ actually comes back to the earth. Now, if you don't believe that, that's okay. I'm not offended by what you believe and I hope you're not offended by what I believe. Like I said, you can stay if you want to. But if we know that, then we can anticipate the fact that the rapture could be at any moment because we see things that let us know we could be looking at his second coming very soon. So the rapture has to be close. It has to be at hand. So scripture here says, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and he wrote here, he said, as you see that day approaching, he said, there's some things you ought to do more of, not less of. So if you drop back there to verse 10, the Bible gives us a few things uh, in these verses here from 10 down through about uh, verse 19, 20, 21. These are, I call them the because ofs. These are the because ofs. All right, and I'll give them to you real quick. Verse 10, because of eternal sanctification. There's things that we need to do more of because that we have eternal sanctification. That's in verse 10. There's things that we need to do more of because in verse 12 we have the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again on the third day and he ascended to the Father days later and set up at the right hand of God. Hebrews talks about him being seated at the right hand of God there on the throne. He's on the throne in heaven today. It's finished. The work is finished. He's not finished, and I'm not finished, but the work is finished, and the work was redemption. He did what it took. He paid the price for my sin. He shed his blood. The, the, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. The wages of sin are non-negotiable. You don't negotiate with God about what it costs for your sin. But thank God Jesus paid the price for your sins and for my sins. It's done. It's finished. And you don't do anything for it. There's not one thing you do for it. You, you, You don't work for it. You don't sing for it. You don't come to church for it. You don't give for it. There's nothing you do for it. You you can only accept it. You can only accept it. Let me tell you this. You don't even have to pray for it. All you have to do is accept it. Uh, There's a lot of people debate this illustration I'm going to give you, and that's okay. You can too. 
if you want to. I, I don't like a whole lot of debate. And Paul said stay away from endless debates. I believe the scripture, so I'm going to stay away from them. But there was the thief one day hanging on the cross beside of Jesus. And at, at the moment they were hanging there, there was something about it. He had seen or heard about Jesus and he knew his reputation and he knew his life and he knew about that man that was hanging beside of him and the Spirit of God pricked his heart and gave him the knowledge that this man is who he says he is and he's here doing what he came to do. And at that moment, he knew who Jesus was and he called him by name and he said would you remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said this day thou shalt be with me in paradise now friends that's salvation he was paying for his sins on that cross he was hanging there as a thief on the cross dying for his sin but Jesus told him this day you'll be with me in paradise all he had to do was accept what Jesus said. Just to, by faith believe what Jesus said. So you understand the work, it's finished. There's nothing you can do. Now we, we, we want to live in, in thanksgiving for the fact of what Jesus has done for us. Paul said, I die daily. He said, this life I live, uh, I live now by the faith of the Son of God. Uh, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. Galatians chapter 2. We want to live for Him in thanksgiving for what He's done for us. Romans 12 teaches us that. But there's nothing we do, it's finished. Because we have eternal sanctification. Because the finished work of Christ. Because in verse 17, our sins are forgiven and our sins are forgotten. You know when you remember your sins, it's the devil that's making you remember them? Because God's forgot them. And when you go back to him and you say, Lord, you've had 1900 and something, something and I did this, and God says, I don't know what you're talking about. Because when you got forgiven for it, God forgot about it. The psalm says that he's put it as far as the east is from the west. Do, do you know why David, I'm going to come over here. Somebody's happy about church. <laughs> Let me give you this. Do you know why David said the east and the west and not the north and the south? Because if you travel north or south, eventually you're going to run in to north or south. But you can travel as far east as you want to or as far west as you want to, and you're never going to run into the other one. Never going to run into the other one. That's why he said as far as the east is from the west. Y'all get that later on today, and he'll beat that tambourine all over this place. <laughs> He's forgot about them. They're gone. Forever. Forgotten. Because we have eternal sanctification, because the finished work of Christ, and because of our forgiven and our forgotten sins. In verse 19, 
through 21 because of the immediate, the immediate access that we have to God. These are the because of's, because of the immediate access that we have to God. You know now you don't have to go through the priest. You don't have to go in the booth to confess. There is no veil. The veil was rent. Hebrews chapter 4, he said, Let us therefore come what? Boldly into the throne of grace. Glory to God. The throne of what? The throne of God's grace. The throne of God's grace. Let me tell you something. I try to be a balanced person. We live in a world that's so full of grace that we don't know what grace is. Because you cannot understand the grace of God unless you understand the judgment of God. We live in a world that's so full of grace they forgot the judgment of God. And you can't understand the grace of God till you understand the judgment of God. Till you fully understand that the wages of sin is death, you'll ever understand that the gift of God is eternal life and what that means. I'm for grace. He sits on the throne of grace, the Bible says. But let us never minimize God's grace. Let us never use God's grace as a doormat to wipe our dirty feet on. We come boldly before the throne of grace because our sins are forgiven. and Because we keep short accounts with God. Because when we do what we should not do and we don't do what we should do, we go to God and we make it right and He extends that mercy and that grace to us. But because of our immediate access to God. So with those things in mind, our eternal sanctification, the finished work of Christ, our forgiven and forgotten sins, because of our immediate access to God, there are some things that we should do more of as we see the day approaching. And here they are. Let me give them to you. Here's the message. Verse number 22. We should, number one, the Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Number one, we should have more faith. We should have more faith. As we see the day the Lord approaching as we know and understand that the time of the rapture is imminent. It could be before we get out of church today that he could come back for us. We need to have more faith. He said there in verse 22 for us to draw near. That's faith. It's having faith in him, putting our trust in him, depending on him. Faith is not an action. Faith is not... Just, just something. Faith is a person. Our faith is in a person. It's not in a system. It's not in a religion. And God help the people that call themselves Baptists. Baptists are not going to be the only people in heaven one day. I are one, thank God, by conviction. I believe the simplicity of what we believe. The death, burial, and the resurrection, the ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and a few other things. You know what? You can complicate it all, but there's going to be people that complicate it that still get to heaven. There's going to be people that really don't understand a whole lot of it. 
that still get to heaven. Faith is not in our actions or, or, or our systems or, or our denominations or our versions or anything else. Faith is in a person. If you turn over a couple of pages, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says what? Looking unto Jesus, the what? The author and finisher of our faith. That means he's the originator of it and he's the keeper of it. The author of it, he started it. He originated it and he's the one that moderates it and keeps it. You don't even keep your own faith. You don't even keep your own salvation. The Holy Spirit's the one that's got you sealed until the day of redemption. The Bible says that. So we need to have more faith and that faith needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in a person. It's not in a program. It's not in a system. It's not in a theology. It's not in a dissertation. It's not in a message. It's not in a church. It's not in anything else. It's in a person and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith takes us back to Calvary. It looks to what he did there and it rests upon his finished work and we build on that and we grow in that. He originated our faith and he'll perfect our faith if we'll just keep looking to him. If we'll just draw near to him. James chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says what? To draw nigh to God and what? He'll draw nigh to you. If you'll just get closer to him, he'll get closer to you. Sometimes he, he wants to be close to us, but sometimes you know what happens? He gets crowded out. He gets pushed out by the things of the world because we, we trust more and depend more on what we can do and what, than what he's done. You know, he promised Matthew 6, he said, take no thought uh, for the morrow. He said, don't think about what you're going to eat. Don't think about what you're going to drink. He said, I clothe the lilies of the field. I, I take care and feed the birds every day. Them birds at my house, boy, they love coming around because they know there's going to be food out there. God takes care of the birds. He clothes the lilies. You don't think he care for you that much? Just trust him. Just put your faith in him. He's going to take care of you. Let me tell you, the place you've been working the last 40 years might fire you tomorrow. You can't put your faith in a job. You can't put your faith in a paycheck. They might downsize and you'd be gone next week. Might go out of business. Might send that job to China or somewhere. Our faith is in a person. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, we need to have more faith. Number two, to move on. Number two, we need to learn to have more hope. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. He says, let us hold fast. That's having hope. We need to have more hope. We don't, we don't give up ground. Write these verses down. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 talks about holding fast unto our faith. Hebrews 6, verse 17 through 20 talks about our hope. We have a hope that hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that hope is the anchor of the soul. The old song says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean 
on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Our hope needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast to the hope that you have in him. My faith takes me back to Calvary. My hope looks to his coming. Titus chapter 2, the Bible talks about the grace of God. It says, The grace of God hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously in this present generation. And then he says, says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. I'm telling you what, I don't like Democrats, I don't like Republicans, I don't like independents, I don't like politics, period. I like people that stand up for truth and what's right. Now, I don't care what label you put on you. If you stand up for truth and right, I'm on your side. But I'm telling you, if our hope is in politics... If our hope is in America, if our hope is in patriotism, if our hope is in all the things that God has allowed America to accomplish in 200 and some odd years, if our hope is in all the ways that he's blessed us in this short lifetime that we have, I'm telling you, the Bible says if our hope is in this life only, Paul said, we're of all men most miserable. My hope's not in me. My hope's not in this life. My hope's not in if it's going to get better. It may get worse. My hope is in the fact that one day he's coming for me. Could be today. He could come for just me today. He he could call just me today. He could call all of us that are his today. We don't know. We might think the rapture's ready to take place, but friend, he may punch your ticket before he punches mine. Our hope is in the fact that he's coming. Our hope is in him. Just like my faith is in him, my hope is in him, and I have to hold fast to that hope. I have to hold fast to the fact that he is coming again, and my hope is in that return, that second coming. I don't give up ground while I'm waiting on him. In Luke chapter 19, the Bible uses the word occupy. He says, occupy Till I come. That word means don't give up any ground. It means keep doing business, keep moving forward, keep making a profit. Don't give up ground to occupy. Christians need to learn to occupy. We're giving up things left and right. I tell you, there was a time in this country if they would even brought, if you, it's almost a hundred years now that Noah Webster wrote a dictionary, 1928. So just in a few years, that dictionary will be 100 years old. But do you know that dictionary is is where the definition for most of our English words come from? Now you can get all these new ones you want, but they've changed the meanings of the words. They don't have the original meaning in them. But you get your old Webster's 1828 dictionary, or 1928 dictionary, look up the word abortion. And see what it means. It does not mean what they use it for today. It does not mean that. You see? There was a time in this country where that word, that, we wouldn't even use that word. 
Now it's way up in the millions of babies that we've aborted. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to occupy. We don't need to give up ground. What about the public school system? The government run school system. If your kids go to a public school, do not take offense by this. I, I understand that that's... I, I went to one. Didn't graduate from there, but I went there. But there was a time when we didn't have to worry about all we worry about in the school system today. And that was the time when we could still pray in school. When we hadn't kicked God out of school. But when you kick God out, you get what you get. So don't whine and complain and bellyache and moan and groan about what's going on in the public government run school system because the Christians allowed them to kick God out. We didn't make enough noise. We didn't rally the troops. We didn't stand on what we say we believe. We did not occupy that ground. We gave it up. And we get what we get. That's why we have the politics and the mess that we have now. Because we've, we've raised and produced and put out there for public service a generation that knows nothing about God or the things of God. Because we systematically removed God from the system. And don't be mad at God. It's not His fault. We're the ones that let Him go and let Him kick Him out. I've got to move on. We need to have more hope. We need to occupy and keep moving forward. Paul said in Philippians 3, I press toward the mark. He wasn't backing up. He said, I'm pushing those things that are behind me behind me further and I'm reaching out and stretching forth for what lies before me. Hey, don't worry about what's behind you. Just worry about what's ahead of you. God's already forgotten about what's behind you. Number one, we have to have more faith. Number two, we have to have more hope as we see these last days approaching. Then number three, in verse number 24, we need to learn to have more love. Verse 24, and let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Boy, wouldn't that be a novel idea? If God's people started loving people, if God's people quit being so stinking selfish and started loving one another, not worrying about what I want, but worrying about what might be a blessing or help to somebody else. Oh, preacher, we're not that way. Well, let's just take the test and see. What if I was to come back next week and, and say, now this is what I want all of you to do. When I come back next week, I got a photographic memory. I looked around here. I know where every one of you is sitting. I don't want one of you to be sitting in the same seat next week. Let's God, we'd split the church right down the middle. <laughs> Preacher, I ain't giving up my seat. I've been sitting in this same seat for 42 years. My great-grandma paid for the cushions that go on it, and I'm sitting in it. Well, that's how selfish we are. We're just thinking selfish. We won't even give up our seat at the house of God so visitor might could sit in it. Because they got here before we did and they didn't know that was our seat and we sat in it. Can I tell a funny story? The church we used to be a part of in North Carolina, 
pretty big church and uh, had a center section. A couple side aisles and others had a center section. And uh, there was a, a lady, and we called her a bag lady. She brought her bag to church every week. And, you know, she was a little different than most folks. Trying to be kind, y'all understand. This was her seat. Front row, right-hand side, if you're looking at it from the platform, right on the front, right there. That's her spot. Well, one Sunday, big church, you know, pastor well-known in town, and a lot of the dignitaries uh, from town were at church that Sunday. You know, police chief, fire chief, you know, water board, the dog catcher, the mayor, all, all on the front row. Well, the mayor of the city of Asheville, North Carolina, just happened to be sitting right there. And she walks right down to the front, places her back down, and says, excuse me, you're in my seat. To the mayor of the city. Now, she didn't have a clue. And, and, and she was a little different, you know. And, of course, the preacher went down and, you know, got it all worked out and everything was okay. But you know what? That's how we are. We pull up in the parking lot. What? what? Whose car is that? You, who, write that tag number down. They're in our spot. They know we park here. It's funny, but it's true. We need to learn to love people. We need to learn to make a sacrifice for somebody else. You know that old acronym for the word joy? Jesus, others, and you. That means Jesus comes first. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. He is to come first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then we're to put other people before ourselves. You know, I, I, again, I am a simple person. You go to the bookstore and they, the self-help section is 20 rows. And we don't need self-help. We need to learn how to give up self and be a help to others. You go to the bookstore and, and there'll be 10 rows on leadership. How to be a good leader. And if you write books and you wrote a book on leadership, I hope I don't hurt your feelings. One of my best friends, Dr. Harry Reader at Briarwood wrote a book on leadership. And ain't no offense to Brother Harry, I've read his book, enjoyed it's a good book. But let me tell you something. Jesus said this in his book. If you want to be a, a leader, you got to learn first to be a follower. And if you want other people to follow you, then you've got to learn to follow him. And he said, the greatest among you will be what? Your servant. The one who serves will be the greatest. So I mean, hey, if you've just got that kind of complex that you want to be number one and you want to be out front and you want to be the one that gets noticed and you want to be the one that gets all the attention, you want to be the one that gets your name in the bulletin every week and all, you know what you need to do? You need to learn to serve people. You need to learn to put yourself at the bottom. You need to learn how to scrub toilets, mow grass, weed eat, get up in the attic and clean dust, do something nobody knows. You know why? Because God said, that's what, if you do that, I'll put you right up at the front of the line. I'll promote you to leadership if you learn how to be a servant. 
That's what the book says. We need more love in the day and age we live in. He said, considering one another. And the word provoke there does not mean make them mad. He said that we're to provoke, to encourage. Same word as exhort. Exhort, provoke, encourage. We're to encourage one another unto love and to do what? Good works. Write write these verses down. You go back and read them this afternoon. Ephesians 4 verse 30 and 32. Ephesians 4 verse 30 and 32. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 12 to 14. I like that one in Colossians. Let me just flip right over there. Colossians. And read that one for you. Because it, it's one of them, you know, we all get a kick out of. We get a little laugh. Colossians 3 in uh, verse number 12. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3. Here it is. It, it, in, this, in this Greek context, it might say it in your version, uh, but the word you would be in front of uh, the word put on. It's an imperative indicative. It, say, it would say you put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. That sounds kind of like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? That means that if the Spirit of God dwells in us, that's what's produced out of us. Not meanness and anger and frowning and bitterness. Verse 13 forbearing one another and forgiving one another. That forbearing means that we have to put up with them. You ain't got to like them, but you got to put up with them. There's a lot of people I don't like, but I have to put up with them. Forbearing and forgiving. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I mean, that's just black and white right there in plain English. We got to learn to love people. We have to learn to put them before ourselves. And the Bible tells us clearly right here in this scripture. He said, because of some things, we should do these things and we should do more of them as we see the day approaching for the Lord to come back. Not less of them, more of them. We need to have more faith. That means we need to draw near to God. We need to get closer to Him. Not further away from Him. Retirement. People talk about retirement. Go to the lake. Go on vacation. Take trips. Where is that in here? Now, granted, Jesus told the disciples, you need to come apart every now and then. You have to get away to keep a sane mind. Because what the disciples was doing what? They was dealing with cranky, ornery church folks and lost people. So he said every now and then you got to get away to keep a sane mind. I get that. But it's like anymore all the church, all we want to do is live for the vacation. Live for the day off. Live for the time away. Live for when we can retire. Uh, there's no retirement. Brother Hornsby's the pastor emeritus but he's still the preacher. He was just up here a few weeks ago preaching. He's not retired on God. He's not give up on Jesus. 
Brother Hornsby, you know Brother Bradley, don't you? Brother Dewey Bradley. Brother Bradley, he called himself my associate for a little while when I was over at Park Avenue. He preached more than I do. He's a he's hundred years old, and to my knowledge, unless it's changed, he still keeps an appointment every Sunday morning somewhere preaching at a hundred years old. There is no place to retire on God. We need more faith. We, we need to draw closer to him, not get further from him. We need to have more hope. We need to hold fast and keep what he's given us and don't give up the ground. Hold fast and hold firm to our faith because our hope is in a soon coming Savior and we need to have more love for people. We need to not only love the brethren but we need to learn to love the lost. That's who Jesus died for. I wrote this down in a little book. I just keep random thoughts and notes in why is it Christian people get to a point in their Christian life that they almost think they deserve to be saved? I hope you had not got to that place, but there's a lot of Christians that get to that place. They just feel like, well, I, you know, I deserve to be saved. That's God. I do it good. I read my Bible. I come to church. I give my 10%. How about a tithe and an offering? Hello? Don't preach about money. Anyway... We just get to the point where we think we're hitting all our P's and Q's, crossing our T's and dotting our I's, and we deserve what God did for us. No, none of us do. The Bible still says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So lest you come to church today thinking you was good enough for God and good enough to earn something and good enough to be here, may God help you today to realize all your goodness is as filthy rags. I'm only as good as what I am right now. And right now I'm covered by the blood. Right now I'm forgiven of my sin. Ten minutes from now, I might be in the middle of my sin. If somebody cuts me off in traffic, I might get angry. If I get home and the boys has beat me to the lunch table, I might get angry. You understand, what I'm, we're only as good as the moment. But our hope is in him we need to love us. And then the last thing here, we won't spend a lot of time on it, verse 25, the fourth thing. The fourth thing. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And that's where he gives us the, so much the more as you see the day approaching. The last thing, it's obvious, we need to have more assembling. We need to have more church, not less church. We need to have more Jesus, not less Jesus. It, 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 I don't understand it. We, church is not a business. Pastoring is not a profession. Evangelist or, 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 or you know, revivalist whatever you want to call it, the ones of us that travel and preach, I don't pastor anymore. It's not a profession, it's a calling. It's a calling. And may I just put a parenthesis right here, Brother Hornsby encouraged you a few weeks ago about looking at resumes, and they're going to give you, they're going to tell you all the good things about them, and they're going to preach the best sermons that they've ever, I'm not preaching the candidate for taking this church, so I can tell you this today. 
they're going to offer you the best that they have to offer. I'm telling you, you need to find out if they got a calling or if they're looking for a job. Because if God has not called them, then you do not want them. You don't. Because a pastor has to shepherd sheep. And if they're not your sheep, you know what happens? You get the leftovers. They may feed you, they may not feed you. You you see what I'm saying? God prepares a people for a man and a man for a people. I just threw that in there under the part of assembling because as you move forward as a church you need to make a decision a lot of churches are getting rid of Sunday night church a lot of churches are getting rid of Wednesday night church I'm old school I grew up right across this hill over here I grew up going to revivals in the in the late 60's early 70's at Highland View where brother Bradley pastored at Southside Baptist Church over here, at the Preacher Hill Mission down in Alton, at a few churches up in Gadsden, some different places that used to believe in the power of God and the spirit of revival. And I'm going to tell you, they wouldn't even plan to meet for less than two weeks. I mean, if you called that you was going to have a meeting and seek God for revival, they didn't put revival out on the sign. They said, we're going to seek God for revival. And we've scheduled two weeks to have meetings and preaching and praying and singing, seeking God for revival. More church. Nowadays, if you say you want to have a meeting from Sunday night to Wednesday night, people groan and bellyache. Well, preacher, my dog's got to go to the vet Tuesday night. I can't come. My boy plays baseball. Well, you think he's going to make the first team in heaven? I think Billy Sunday, the great baseball player that turned to evangelist to tell you, take your boy's ball and glove away from him, get him a Bible and bring him to church on Tuesday night. Hello? This church, could I get an amen? It's the truth. We need to have more of God's people getting together than less of God's people getting together. I'm not real big on just getting together to sing. I think if we're going to get together, we ought to have the Word of God. I, I like singings. They have their place. But I'll go so far as to say this. Even if we're just going to assemble to sing, we ought to assemble to sing more of God's music than we get together in the backyard and play the devil's music. Well, I better wrap this thing up. It's getting quiet. I mean that. I'm just preaching to you what the Bible says. We ought to want to get together at God's house and share the goodness of God more than we want to hang out in the backyard over a beer and a brat and celebrate the devil. We should. And God's word says that we ought to do these things so much the more when we see the day approaching. If you looked at one of my cards out there in the vestibule you'll see it said on there prophecy evangelist I love studying and preaching and teaching Bible prophecy and I'm telling you the Lord could come back before you get home to eat your lunch 
because we see so many things that point to the second coming of Christ that are happening now. The stage is set and the curtain's about to go up on what we call the great tribulation. That's how close it is. And knowing that, God give us his word. And he said, there's some things that you ought to be doing more of the closer it gets to my return, not less of. So let's get closer to God. Let's have more hope in his coming. And let's learn to love people more than we love them now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And do something different. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. She's going to come and whatever the Lord has laid on her heart to play this morning, she's going to just play on this keyboard. We're not going to stand. We're not going to sing. But just right there where you are in your pew, if God's speaking to you, and He's speaking to your heart about something today, then would you just be obedient to Him? It's not about me. It's, it's not about what we make an invitation to be. This is your time with the Lord. This is really what it's all about. We come to hear the word of God and to let the Holy Spirit of God teach us, to instruct us, and to challenge us on how we can be better. And to come and hear it and not respond to it, it'd have been better off if we just stayed at the house. I'm not telling you you have to come to the altar. Maybe it's inconvenient for you to come to an altar. But I'm telling you this, if God spoke to your heart this morning, don't waste his time and yours. Do something about what he spoke to your heart about. Whether it's there in that pew or whether it's here at this altar. I'll tell you what, decisions you make at an old-fashioned altar aren't ones that will soon leave you. When you just make in the pew because you're ashamed or embarrassed, you'll forget it before you go out the back door. This is your time. And I challenge you this morning to do something with God's word. You come join these that have already come. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. It's quiet. We're respectful. You come and spend time with the Lord and we'll have a word of prayer at the close. bowed and our eyes closed. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're being respectful. You're talking to the Lord this morning. Maybe you're praying for somebody you know.
head bowed and your eyes closed. You be respectful of these as she plays and he sings. This one verse and then we're going to close the service this morning. More about Jesus. One verse and then we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to close. Jesus I'll pray with you. Ladies, we'll get a lady to pray with you uh, if we need to. I'll be glad to pray with you. If there's anything you need, you just come this morning. this way and be seated um, I think they want to have prayer for those that are going on the mission trip this Saturday is that right that's this Saturday so if you're a part of that team that's going this Saturday I guess if you will if you'll just come down to the front here um, then the church will be glad to have prayer for you Everybody, let's just gather right in here as close as we can together right here in this little spot. All right? All right. Let the leaders in the church, deacons, men, all of y'all come on forward and gather around behind this group here that's going. And then anybody else, other men, ladies that want to come uh, and join in, you come and just lay hands on those leaders, deacons, and the men that are behind them. And we'll pray over this group that's going out to minister. Y'all are going to Kentucky and be gone for how long? Be gone for a week. All right. All right. Well, let's pray together and I'll lead us as we pray and this also be our prayer of dismissal. All right. Father, we love you today and we're so thankful, God, that we have the opportunity to come before you. And Lord, just bring this group of people, Lord, that's going out uh, on a mission trip, Lord, to, to represent you.